Hello and welcome to another episode of Unchurchable. I'm your host, Kit Kennedy. I hope you're hanging on as best you can in this crazy old year. It's been a bit of a bonkers old week in Melbourne town. We've had tradies protest over uh, their rights to smokos and um, against uh, mandatory vaccines. And we had an earthquake this morning and it's just been a time. Uh, <laughs> I know a 6.0 earthquake isn't much if you're a New Zealander or used to much bigger magnitudes. But the last time we Australians got any earth moving action was back in 2012. Um, not a euphemism, I promise. But along those lines, today's episode is a fun one. And when I say fun, I mean deeply uncomfortable for me to sit and talk about apparently. So we had to record it twice. As each individual deconstructs in their own way, in their own timing, it's only logical that there would be different points of stuckness, things that we take a little more time to get through, and this can be different for everyone. Over the last 20-odd episodes, we've talked about LGBTQIA issues, issues surrounding racism, ableism, trauma-informed churches, deconstruction itself, and throughout these conversations, the topic of purity culture has sort of floated in and out of the conversation. It's that bad penny that keeps coming back up. Uh, we've talked to the wonderful Erica Smith, a sex educator who helps people develop their own sexual ethic post-purity culture and start to unpack all of that. We've talked to the Blair Rabin, who runs an Instagram page that takes a satirical aim at some of the bizarre messages around purity culture. But it's time to dig a little bit deeper. How do you heal? How do you reclaim your body? How do you know if you need help to do this? And who do you ask for help if you do? It's an important issue and it can be an issue of particular stuckness for people leaving evangelicalism, especially women, especially victims of trauma and abuse. I didn't realise how uncomfortable this topic made me until I heard myself on that first recording, just taking the conversation away onto tangents time and time again, while the amazing Meg Cowan was taking a gentle, church-aware, trauma-informed walk through this topic. You get to listen to it in your own safe place. And next week, I'll be talking to another incredible guest who'll follow up today's conversation with some big theological mic drops. But for now, get comfy, make yourself a cuppa. Meg Cowan is a sex and intimacy coach who has a long history inside church, so she gets this from both sides. We are talking about healing from purity culture and finding sexual freedom. So I hope you enjoy this episode. I'm Kit Kennedy, and this is Unchurched. How are you today, Meg? I'm so good. So good to be with you. That is good. Now, this is actually the second time that we've recorded <laughs> this episode. Last time was Friday the 13th and we were mm. like, we're not superstitious. This is fine. We'll, we'll be fine. It'll be fine. <laughs> we'll be fine. Anyway, um, we discovered during that session that A, I am more uncomfortable talking about sex than I thought I was and I kept on steering the conversation off and just because of my own discomfort, hashtag purity culture dropout. Um, and the other thing was you were sitting renovating an office was, full of uh, women. No, like I'm not superstitious. I'm really not. But so many things happened that day. We <laughs> lost fiber at our house. I couldn't work in my office for a reason. So I went to my brother-in-law's office to like, great they've got fiber we'll record it'll be excellent and he was having a meeting and there were like seven men sitting in the meeting room next to me and I'm sitting there trying to have this real free conversation about sex and I'm like I'm aware that they have clients there and I was so it was just a little awkward so I'm, I'm ready for today I'm so ready for today so there you go. It kind of goes to show that no matter how far you think you've come away from your conservative and fundamental roots, sex can there still be a little go. bit awkward, even if you're just talking about it. Now, um, this is an interesting topic. We're talking about purity culture. We're talking about recovering from it. But somebody slid into my DMs a few weeks back and said, um, where's the purity culture episode? I'd like to listen to that. And I thought, holy shit, like, I haven't actually done one like we've talked 
like I've talked to Erica Smith um, about her program, Purity Culture Dropout. Talked a bit to to Blair Rabin, who's, um, she runs an account, Talk Purity to me. But we actually haven't talked about this in a trauma-informed kind of definitive cover-all kind of way. Mm -hmm. And I thought, all right, let's do this. Let's talk about purity culture, what it is, how you know you need to get help how to get help, all that kind of thing. Yeah, let's but let's first of all start with you, Meg. Who are you? How did you end up in this space? Yeah, right. So, excuse me. Hi. So good to be doing this, um, this episode. And I am Meg Cowan. I'm a sex and relationships coach. Um, but like a lot of people, I come to this work because it was my own pain first you know, and, and worked through a lot of that stuff for myself and then went, oh, wow, shit, there's nobody else really that I knew of to talk to at the time when I was processing through, you know, 10 years ago and starting my own journey in it. And, and that's how I ended up in this field. That's how I ended up doing this work. Um, yeah. And I love it. I love it because I think we need to be able to talk freely about purity culture Um excuse me, my dog is rolling around in the background. So I'm a little distracted here, but um, I, could, I could just hear the ears. Like the, the ears, the she has huge ears. ears so yeah. apologies, <laughs> apologies, team. Welcome to the real world podcasting. It's never, it never goes smoothly, hey? Oh, um, no, whatever. I mean, the best podcasts, I think, are the ones where you feel like you're in somebody's lounge room having an honest chat with Well, them. here you so. are with my dog as well. <laughs> so, so anyway, purity culture, like I love it. I love um, not purity culture stuff. I love the work of talking about purity culture and figuring out how do we heal from this stuff? Mm-hmm. You know, there was nobody to talk to when I started doing my own work around it. And so um, yeah. that's how I ended up here. Yeah. Yeah. So prior to, I guess, discovering that you had some work to do in this area, you'd grown up in church and, and been mm-hmm. around churches and kind of been in ministry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. all of those things. So yeah. grew up um, in kind of a Baptist Pentecostal environment, um, and then you know, kind of I I joke and say I've been deconstructing my faith since I was ten because my mum and dad left the church then, mm. and um, so my teenage years, you know, I did a lot of youth camps, but it, there was never really any pressure. But I had really already by that stage kind of internalized a lot of the messages of purity culture oh, like 10 to, 13, mm-hmm. oh, 10 to 13 I was still in youth groups and and really involved in that way and so then went overseas traveled did a bit of an OE lived abroad for a year and then came back to New Zealand met my lovely husband and um, ended up working in a church which there were some great parts of and there were some not great parts of um, but I I wasn't conscious of some of the ways that those messages were actually yeah. really deep in me from childhood and then also as I continued working in the church as well yeah so, um, yeah it's, it was a it was a long process of um, you know childhood things and then things that I also put myself into environments I also put myself into that further compounded the messages of purity culture and and just a lot of the, you know, gender roles and what it means to be a good Christian <laughs> wife and mom and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Gosh, a hundred percent. Now for those who listen to this podcast, cause they want to know what these crazy evangelicals think, <laughs> <laughs> what is purity culture? Yeah. Right. So purity culture is, as we're going to talk about it today, um, is defined as a movement that it's got its roots actually really early back in the 50s and 60s and that but what we know um as growing up as you know men and women our sort of age (laughs) non-disclosed ages um we're in our 20s in our 20s (laughs) women in our 20s um we were really teenagers a lot of us in the height of this purity culture movement which came a lot out of the American evangelical church and there was things like the true love weights movement um the silver ring thing there was a commercialization of these ideas around abstinence only uh, sex education no sex before marriage Um, it was a very heteronormative kind of conversation it was like Mm -hmm. you don't have sex until you get married 
and um, obviously you're going to get into a heterosexual marriage and then hmm. uh, everything's going to be great after that as long as you wait your yes. sex life will be fine and good and um, yeah. ultimately men are the head of the home and and women are to be more submissive like there's a lot of those ideas mixed up in purity culture mm. um, and it's yeah. super interesting I mean if you've been watching what's gone on in Texas mm. Um, mm. over the last few weeks um 666 laws passed Ooh, in the parliament that's ominous not that we're superstitious <laughs> though yes yeah, so let's, let's be superstitious about that but there was a lot about um you know that like abortions not legal and mm. um very harsh policing of women's bodies now mm. regardless of whether you're pro-life or pro-choice um the the illustration i think that the texas laws brought to the world is that purity culture is so ingrained in american mm. culture mm. especially across the bible belt states and stuff like that that it's actually an industry there's lobby groups it's there's... like a billion dollar industry <laughs> and especially through like the the late 80s early 90s early 2000s and it's mm. still going on but it was in its height in those years that we were all teenagers you know yeah. and so um it is a massive massive industry and it's still going on it's just it's a little more subtle now yeah. in some ways there's a there's more like oh no woman you can lead and you can have choice but it's like benevolent patriarchy now right so it's not so <laughs> it's like oh yes of course you can but actually when push comes to shove men are still the head of the home and yeah. actually we're still gonna try and police your your body and your choices a little and so and um, purity culture just really stripped people of agency now this affected yeah. men and women um but it it had a particularly heavy effect on women because yeah. women's bodies um were policed and so you're supposed to cover up you're supposed to be modest you're not to cause your brothers in christ to stumble yeah. um and so you know no cleavage all that kind of stuff you've got to keep it very on lock and and so not only were women responsible for their own bodies, but they were also responsible for the quote unquote sin of their brothers yes. in Christ. So yeah, it's messy. It is. It, I mean, gosh, I, I, I do a bit in my comedy about um, when I do it because Melbourne's on lockdown forever. Um, but I do a bit in comedy about the double bind when you're expected to dance with abandon before the Lord yes. without letting any of the boys know that you've got titties or hips. Yep. <laughs> I mean, it's Don't like... let that shirt slip. <laughs> well, you should have a modesty singlet on underneath. Like you should have a tan yeah, but... top, a camisole. So, yes, you know. oh, absolutely. Camisoles <laughs> that go right down and you can tuck oh, it in. Yeah. But yeah. also when your cleavage starts at your clavicle, I mean... <laughs> You, you you're shoveling shit uphill. I mean, you're really you're, you're not physically cut out for um. <laughs> yeah, I I mean, isn't I mean we're laughing, but isn't this not funny? How I'm not as well endowed and have that issue, but <laughs> I you know I had friends and we would wear the same team T-shirt when we were on a hosting team in church, and yeah. my friends who were bigger busted would be instructed to put jackets over their t-shirt. I'm like, they're literally they're wearing the exact same t-shirt as me. Like they're not doing, anyway, yeah. So, yeah. anyway, <laughs> stay on track. The blood pressure levels start to rise when you start to get into the injustice of, yes. of, of what this does. But it, it's, it's super interesting because um, I suppose, I never thought I'd have to deconstruct purity culture um, until my husband came out as gay and I was like, oh, mm. Mm. oh I'm a single woman and I would like to get married again and I would you know I would like to find a life partner and I'm starting to think oh oh goodness I didn't think I'd have to think about this and it's yeah. then that I started to realize the little the plethora of little ways in which those gender roles had really cemented themselves in my relationship mm. and moving away from that and reclaiming my my position as the decision maker about my household, my body, my ethic, um, my sexual ethic, all of that kind of stuff. Mm. It was an absolute minefield. So for those who've grown up in the conservative sort of faith environments, what are some of the messages that they've received that are affecting them in this area and um, how they feel about their sex lives and their bodies and their relationships and all that kind of stuff? 
Yeah. Okay. So there's a bunch of them, but let's let's hit on some of the, the big key ones that come up really often. So um, often through purity culture, some of the messages we got were that men have sexual needs and women don't so much. Like we are more likely to have emotional needs. So um, it turns sex into this really obligatory experience. And obviously we're talking in a heterosexual um, kind of framework here because that's mostly what purity culture presented with us. So I'm really conscious when we have this discussion that there are ways that this hits differently for the LGBT plus community. Yeah. Um, so, but let's just talk about some of these, these key ones that we were presented by purity culture. Um, so this idea that men have sexual needs and women don't, and we end up, we often end up with a lot of really boring sex when that happens, because if the man is not, um, you know, if the, if the partner is not actually prioritizing or um, paying attention to the pleasure of their partner, particularly of their female partner, then sex is not great. Um, and, and hello, orgasm gap and, and all those sorts of things that we have. So um, there was that that message that was very unbalanced and it wasn't that sex was about mutual pleasure mm. it was it was quite one-sided and then on the flip side of that we have women feeling bad that they have desire so yes. like yes. and I have a lot of women come to me talking about this like I, I've always felt like a bit of a weirdo because I actually mm. liked sex I wanted yeah. to have sex I felt desire and I didn't know what to do that and uh, to do with that so yeah that's probably a key a key one. I don't know if you want to comment on that before I, we I, roll into. I do actually. Um, <laughs> I, I I'll never forget, and and my ex husband will probably kill me for saying this, but I'm, I'm going to say it anyway. Um, when we went back to our hotel room on our wedding night, I was like, right, let's do this, and he was like, whoa, I wasn't prepared for this. Uh, I thought that you were going to be all coy, and I was going to have yeah. to like, <laughs> and it actually threw him for a loop um, because because well, it's not expected, right? No, it's it was not, not what expected. women do. And it was also talked about in such an obligatory way that, um, like, you know, in Christian circles, that I think women possibly found it a little bit difficult to initiate mm. sex. And yeah. when they did, it could cause a little bit of friction. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Not a, I, there should have been a better word to use there. but If you're in a particularly... Um, kind of conservative house where the, the man was expected to make all the decisions and stuff that could actually yeah. kind of hit a, against a gender role sort of Absolutely. wall there and and you know are you allowed to be a horny Christian female I don't I don't know evidently <laughs> yeah. not according to purity culture <laughs> but my clients tell me differently there's a, a large number of women out there who yeah. really feel like I actually like sex and I actually want to initiate and yeah. And am I wrong or broken for feeling like that? The answer yeah. is no, of course you're not. Um, but so that's like, there's a huge amount to unpack yeah. there yes. around that message. Um, I think as well that what goes with this is the idea that women's bodies are dangerous. Yeah. So we're putting the responsibility on women, like we talked about before, not just for their own behavior, but for um, the other persons and honestly this is really dangerously close to rape culture in in the way it presents um, or in the way it affects people because in fact it is synonymous with rape culture really I've like, heard a lot of people say that and then I've kind of felt discomfort around it but this is a message mm. that's so pervasive mm. well because it's we're asking things to women in purity culture and in these kind of environments of like, well, what were you wearing? What did you do mm. that caused him to sin or to feel tempted towards you? Instead of holding the other people accountable for their behavior. Yeah. yeah? So um, yeah, it sounds like a, a big, strong statement to make that it's synonymous with rape culture, but I, I really do think the messaging is... Yeah really really the same it's putting responsibility for someone else's actions on yeah you know, the quote-unquote victim in yeah. purity culture yeah um well 100 I mean gosh I remember being on keyboard at church one day and I was wearing a purity culture approved camisole and then okay. like a sort of sheerish blouse and I just remember Sheer. my goodness mm, I know I know but like not <laughs> not like Megan 
Fox at the Met Gala Sheer or VMAs or whatever. Like it was, it was black. And but I just remember the sheer panic as I was playing the keyboard and could feel my bra strap falling off my shoulder. Oh, no. <laughs> and that, that that feeling of panic that that would actually come with with things like that. And being Australian and living along the coast, um, you know, we we were the most recognizable group on the beach because everybody else is there in their bikinis and you know their their one pieces. And then there'd be my crowd and the women are wearing these rash vests that go up to their chins and down to their wrists and board no, board have you seen have you seen that video of the guy that's came out recently um, approaching some young girls on the beach and kind of attempting to school them about yes. their bodies and that yes. they shouldn't be in bikinis and it's basically so so that's the messaging of purity culture so and yeah. he did a really terrible I don't even think it's an apology video but he did a, a follow-up video yeah afterwards and he was saying you know I really felt convicted and um you know that they were causing the younger people in our in our group to you know and and he drew the connection between his own struggle with pornography and his own pornography use and how these women were presenting themselves so like you can't tell me that it's not connected like purity culture it's the same messaging yeah and years again the other (laughs) the other um thing that I find deeply concerning I think because obviously like Nobody meant harm by this. Purity culture wasn't something that was meant to harm us, but it was a doctrine that was not really thought through and we hadn't really seen the results of it yet. Um, I firmly believe us from, you know, they thought they were rescuing us by, by introducing that. I've got a purity ring. It's still up in my room. It's just, you know, um, I did all the right things. I'm still divorcing because, you know, blah, blah, blah. (laughs) Can't cure gay because there's nothing wrong with it. Um, But, you know, there's obviously, it was well-intentioned, but then we've got the policing of women's bodies and we've got purity culture becoming this multi-billion dollar, you know, industry. But then on the very extremes of it, you've got incel culture that blames women for men's lack of sexual conquest and Mm. you know like that Mm. when you trace this I mean there's extremes in everything but it's a very dangerous doctrine from from you know policing women's bodies in church to rape culture to you know um (laughs) I feel like we're still Eve in the garden coughing the blame for the whole damn thing (laughs) (laughs) yeah I, I it is it's it's dangerous messages when people are not how to account for their own behavior um it's yeah yeah so I just I mean I thought go ahead sorry I was just gonna say the porn thing's really interesting too because it's only you know people when people talk about having a porn problem um it's often it's mostly people in church Mm -hmm. um if you speak to a lot of therapists they won't say porn addiction is well, like it's a lot not of- conclusive at this point some people yeah. say yes it's an addiction some people say no it's not but like this is this is a part of this is one of the other messages that we've got from purity culture is that your desire will lead you somewhere bad potentially yeah now I'm not going to get into the debate of whether porn use is an addiction or it's not an addiction um I think with any behavior in life you can take it to an extreme or you can Mm -hmm. take it to an unhealthy place with anything do it with food you can do it with exercise anything yeah but but at the core of it it's saying your desire will lead you somewhere bad will lead Mm -hmm. you somewhere negative um and this one's really important I think to understand because we actually need to get back in touch with our bodies and our desires Mm -hmm. and actually hear what our bodies are telling us about pleasure because desire is actually a beautiful messenger. But if you've been taught for years that it's sinful, um, if you've been taught that it's going to lead you somewhere bad, then we carry in our bodies this memory that links desire and sin. Yeah. So, so we push the desire away instead of actually leaning into what it's trying to tell us. And desire can be a beautiful thing to draw you closer to somebody or, you know, there's beautiful yeah. things that come out of desire. 
Yeah. Now that's really interesting because I mean, there's this whole thing around embodiment that, mm, that a lot of people I've spoken with struggle with post evangelicalism Mm -hmm. is that we've been taught that our bodies are sinful um, that, you know, we've been taught that, yeah, desire will lead us somewhere bad. We've been taught a lot of things. We've also been some of some people who were sadly victims of abuse within the church were also, you know, kind of had to ignore that gnawing sense of fear or discomfort. Mm-hmm. Um, and there can be this disconnect in between us and our bodies. Um, yeah. And then when it comes time to kind of pull this apart and go, do I actually need help with this? I mean, mm. where do you even start? Um, and that that is a question that I'll only get you to answer if you're done with the messaging part. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's a it's a great question. I mean, we can talk for hours on the messages mm. that purity culture. So, yeah. um, Look, I think actually a big thing about purity culture is that it's taught us not to lean in and trust our bodies. So when we start looking for help and figuring out what kind of help do I need? How am I going to get free of this? How am I going to evolve my beliefs? How am I going to create a healthy new sexual ethic? I actually say to people, lean into your body. What does your body, what is your body telling you right now? And maybe it's that like for some people healing from purity culture is about dance and is about movement. Mm. And I mean, of course I'm, I'm a big fan of like therapy, like actual therapy, talk therapy, MDR therapy, any of those types of things. Um, Those are always a good idea. Um, But, but lean into the other things at a basic level, like, what do you what does your body need does it need to move more does it need to run more does it need to sit in long hot baths and just think like what about self-pleasure what's your relationship to that yeah um what is it like (laughs) that's a whole other that's a whole other podcast I see you no I'm laughing because there's a group on Facebook Christian Mothers Against Masturbation oh oh my gosh I saw it yeah (laughs) it was too funny it was (laughs) what did they call it her rings are made for her Her fingers fingers her fingers are made for rings not for ringing the devil's doorbell ringing the devil's doorbell or something and the other thing is before you marry a woman you need to know whether she has this was the one self-raped her sin cave oh Oh, I mean you can only laugh because otherwise you'll cry right the the idea that something that God has made that God has put on the body that God has created for some of a like for an incredible purpose the idea that you can call that a sin cave is pretty pretty audacious um and even if you don't believe in God I mean if you don't believe in God then the whole thing gets a lot just more hilarious if you're not gonna (laughs) just you know be completely angry at it but yeah, like I had to stop thinking that my body was evil at all. It was okay to kind mm-hmm. of be top heavy, that it was okay to wear things that would actually mm-hmm. suit my body type and not my brother in Christ. Um, mm-hmm. and, uh, and even down to the decision to teach my children, instead of saying, you know, using cute names, we call yeah. a penis a penis, we call a vagina a vagina. Yeah. Um, currently they're age three and five and they think they're the funniest words in the world and I'm kind of regretting that choice just (laughs) on a pragmatic level but (laughs) I was just at my sister's house and my two-year-old nephew has just learned gina tennis so they are are very popular words at the moment but it's important in the long run and and actually just a little side note like as we dismantle and untangle ourselves from purity culture often we'll find as we're parenting, if we have children, that some of those shame triggers are going to come up. And there's a great book by um, Dr. Tina Sherman Sellers, who wrote the book Sex, God and the Conservative Church. Um, And she's actually one of the the key people who really started studying and researching the effects of purity culture on people in the early 2000s. But she's written a book called Shameless Parenting. And this Mm -hmm. is just a little side note that if you are struggling with the effects of purity culture and now you're also having to navigate having children and how am I going to parent around <laughs> this? And I'm actually feeling really uncomfortable to say yeah. penis and vulva or vagina. Yeah. Um, then 
grab her book. It's a great read. There's um there's some other great people out there doing things, mm. but that's a good one because she breaks it down into age kind of like if you've got zero to five year olds, here's some really key things yeah. to know. And um, yeah. so that's a, a little side note there. I think it's an important one. And you know what? Maybe when this episode goes live, which it's already live, because if you're listening to it, it's live. <laughs> Magic of the internet. <laughs> we'll we'll post some of those books because I think mm-hmm. um, there's also The Great Sex Rescue that's just been yes. published that was based on a survey of like 20,000 women. It was talking about yeah. the orgasm gap. And my goodness, hasn't the author of that gotten some kickback from the boys? Yeah. Um, yeah. And, you know, so what's that- so interesting about Sheila, I really respect her work. <laughs> she's, she's doing it from a Christian framework and she's still getting kickback. I you know, know, it's not like she's even out there saying, throw out your Bibles. It's all wrong. She's actually doing it from inside a Christian framework. And I think we need people with resources in all these different areas. And then, you know, like Erica Smith, she's doing great stuff, but it's not from a Christian framework, but she understands it. And so we'll put a, I'll send you some links of some great reads and some great resources that we can add to this for sure. Yeah. Now coming back to what you were talking about in embodiment, and we're going to move back Mm -hmm. to reclaiming sexuality and how you know when you need assistance with it in a minute. But you said, tuning into your body can be about dance or can be about movement or music that one you mentioned last time we attempted to record this podcast and it's actually made me like that 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 hit a chord with me because Mm. um when it comes to music I've been shut down for years Mm. like um Patrick my beautiful ex-husband he'd send me songs and go, oh my gosh, listen to this. I couldn't because if Mm. I did, the emotions that would come out would be like, I would just be sobbing. So I'd like, you know, I don't have the emotional coinage to listen to music today. So I'm not going to. My musical emotional range was the Wiggles big red car. (laughs) I mean, that was it. (laughs) Um, And another friend of mine, a beautiful, inspirational single mum who took up DJing during the, the pandemic. Yes. Um, she's this gorgeous, um, gorgeous woman of colour. And she says she dances to move emotion. And she's like, you should give mm-hmm. it a go. And I felt so clunky and so out of touch with my body. And I was like, I don't think I can do this. Music and movement are too... Well, music was kind of because I because I'm a musician and I spent 20, 25 years in the church singing, mm-hmm. playing piano, being the person who was driving the mood, you know, of these immersive worship sessions that I now find so mm-hmm. problematic. Um, yeah. And and purity culture kind of, you know, you know, your boobs aren't supposed to move and you, like all of that kind of stuff. Like <laughs> that was a real challenge for me. And I've had to. Like it's just been this week because I stacked in the bathroom. Isn't this any single woman's just nightmare? I decided to clean the shower. Now, everyone knows we, if you everyone knows you do that naked. Do that naked. So yeah. turn on the water and and I I was starkers and just about to get into the shower and I went AOT on oh. <laughs> one of the kids' toys that was clear plastic. And blew out my ankle and gave myself a concussion. <laughs> oh so um, that was three weeks ago now. And I've just actually started to realize that I'm really itching to exercise. And trust me, that's not something that happens to me in my life. But I was almost like, it was almost like a moment of movement going, oh, this is me listening to my body. This is me going, yeah. oh, okay, I want to exercise oh, I don't like chocolate all that much. Like these movements have been kind of happening and like I've been kind of congratulating myself going, yes, I think they call this embodiment in a weird way. But (laughs) absolutely it's embodiment. It's starting to learn to the message, uh, learn to listen to the messages of your body. Mm. Your body is, and I don't know who said it. And if someone knows, like message me and tell me who said this, but I heard the saying that loud bodies are loving bodies. And it's really stuck with me, this idea that your body starts speaking up sometimes with pain, sometimes, but it's because your body's trying to tell you something. And I think in, in purity culture, we've, we've pushed those messages down. Like we were busy suppressing our sexuality. Mm -hmm. And so we pushed the messages of our body down. We didn't listen to desire. 
And it means we also didn't listen to things like our hunger cues, like there's big connections between purity culture and diet culture. Um, We didn't listen to our bodies. And so embodiment, even before you can get to movement, sometimes you just have to get to really paying attention. You know, if, if movement doesn't feel good for you yet, you might just need to go back a step a little to the side a step and just go, okay, what is my body wanting to say right now? Mm. What feels good to it? And so I think when we talk about healing from purity culture, we're looking for those ways that we can listen to our body. Mm -hmm. And so you might want to tune into that for what kind of therapist you want to go to. Like even you might be scrolling, looking through some therapists or some coaches or some people to work with. And you just need to tune into your body and go, for some reason, that one makes me feel uncomfortable or that one makes me feel like, "Mm, I don't know. So pick somebody else, listen to your body and lean into that. Um, And and things like um, movement are, I think it's important to just break it down and take it in baby steps and take it with curiosity. Mm-hmm. Like if the if one of these things that someone suggests or that I'm suggesting doesn't feel good, get curious about why that is. Like, yeah. oh, what am I noticing about yeah. that? What feels good? What doesn't? And pleasure is so much more than uh, just sexual pleasure. Like yeah. when you slow down and you really start to listen to your body, you can do that just by starting with your first cup of coffee in the morning or starting with a barefoot walk on the beach or start tuning into those things and how they feel. How does pleasure show up in your body? What do you like? Do you love curling up in the sun and reading a book? Or like, mm. what is it that you and your, that your body love? So it's pretty hard to heal, I'm guessing, pretty hard to heal the sexuality element if we're out of touch with the body element. Mm. So I have all sorts of people in my tribe from my fellow soon-to-be-divorcees. And I say soon-to-be-divorcees, but let's face it, my hubby and I, well, my ex-hubby and I are both tight asses and we just <laughs> we just want to spend the money on something else, but we will eventually have to file. <laughs> <laughs> um, but whether, you know, and he's, uh, and I've got another beautiful friend who's um, who was kind of disfellowshipped from church because she was gay. And so there was like um, deconstructing purity culture in a female to female relationship. And yeah. she's now engaged and getting married. And that's so, so exciting. Yeah. Like better bloody be able to get there because of COVID. But, um, you know, so there's all sorts of layers of this from, from giving yourself permission to actually find a committed relationship with the person of your preferred, you know, gender, if it doesn't fit within the purity culture, heteronormative sort of structure. I mean, that's a journey. Um, There's also, I think, the journey of the married couple in which one partner or both partners carries the guilt of having had a sexual relationship before Mm -hmm. marriage. Now, do you deal with this often um, or is this just something that people kind of talk about in their circles or don't talk about it all and stew over? Yeah, of course. Of course that comes up because people have come into whatever relationship they're in. Mm-hmm. Um, we've all got different experiences and, and we've had, some have had no partners, some have had multiple partners. And so that's always a part of um, unpacking purity culture. And well, what do we think about that? what do and you know each partner has to really think well what do I think about the fact that my partner never had anybody else before me or had a lot Mm -hmm. of people before me and where do I get those messages from why do I think it's good or bad or um, you know anything else and so yeah it's definitely a part of the unpacking process and again we have to come with curiosity to those sorts of questions why do I think that's good or bad? Where did I learn that? Um, yeah. And what do I want to think about that now moving forward? You know, what do I, what do I want for this relationship? If you're in a relationship with a person, how do I want to interact with them? What yeah. are some really healthy relational patterns and ways that we can talk about um, sex and sexuality and past experiences? Yeah. A lot of people who've been through purity culture 
just struggle to even bring up the conversation of sex, Mm. you know? So because a lot of um, Christian families were really quite silent on the topic of sexuality. And so a lot of shame breeds in that silence because it's not, it's just don't do this until you're married and we're silent about everything else. So even just bringing up the conversation of sex can can create feelings of, um, yeah. Yeah, it's it's super interesting because I think one of one of the most iconic things that somebody has ever said to me about this is before I was married, I prayed for God to take these desires away, mm. and now I can't get them back. And mm. um, you know, I I have I have days when I'm like, when I'm, I think I'd call myself I, I call myself post Christian. I am so okay with Jesus. <laughs> I am so okay with spirituality, but church and religion and, you know, kind of having to put a label on spirituality, I get super cringy about that. Um, But, you know, I, I, I still identify quite strongly with, with, you know, faith. Mm. Um, And I, I remember just saying to this person, God didn't do that to you. God didn't take away these desires. Your, your subconscious did, your Mm. shame languaging did, Mm. because that was, what we were immersed in um, inside these institutions Um, and you know I'm a huge fan of therapy and and like like you you said you're a huge fan of therapy Um, and and I think I'd like to kind of talk a, a little bit about you know what what are some good trigger points for going okay I've been doing the candlelit baths. I've been doing the self-pleasure. I've been doing this. I've been doing that. When do I need to talk to somebody? Um, mm. What are some of those Well, triggers? let's just start with the fact that it's probably always a good idea to talk to somebody. Like yes. I actually, I actually think that if you have been through purity culture, if you've come through, um, you know, a silent home around sexuality, like it's yeah. probably always a good idea mm. to go and to talk to somebody. Um but there are some key things that will come up. Like if you are finding that you're having the same arguments over and over again with your partner, um, if you or you're struggling over the same points and you're kind of feeling like you're getting stuck there, then yeah. definitely reach out to somebody. Um, if you are, I think this is really important if you are feeling like you're having sex and it's obligatory Mm -hmm. and you're only doing it to meet the needs of your partner yeah talk to somebody please (laughs) like that's not how it should be it doesn't have to be that way like sex sex should be can be for you too um Mm Um, there's a whole list of things but basically if you're thinking maybe you need to talk to somebody then yes you probably do Um, if this is if these things are coming up if there are themes that have followed you through your life yeah just go talk to somebody um, and and go through that process of leaning into your body and and just investigate and being curious like who would be good to talk to now Mm. obviously if you've got sexual trauma in your in your past then go see a therapist. Like I, I often yeah. say to people, I'm a coach, I'm not a therapist. And yeah. the, so the work that I do is different. The work yeah. that I do as a coach is about where are you now? Where do you want to be? And how do yeah. we get you there in ways that feel great to you yeah. and your body? But um, therapists are able to go back and go through a lot of that historical trauma with you and so there is a difference like just because somebody has been through purity culture has been through deconstruction or doesn't necessarily make them the right person to go and talk to like you might share with a friend who's been through this in solidarity but if you really want to work through it make sure that you're finding people like I'm trained in activation method and as a protect accredited trainer and understanding psychological and behavioral signs of abuse and like I would not go and talk to somebody who's just set up and said I'm a coach to talk about this because I've been through it like you need skills you you need the person that you're working with to have skills and um and there's definitely a place for coaching and there's a place for therapy Mm. and both are brilliant but it depends on where you're at and what you need yeah now I just want to flag at this point and I don't know how many episodes I've said therapy is good in but you touched on something really important when you were talking about looking for the right therapist Mm -hmm. and just listening to your body if you go "Eh, that that one doesn't seem right for me 
Um, I think it's super important to shop around and find the right therapist and find the right coach. And sometimes we do need a little bit of an ecosystem around us to, we need the supportive friends, but not the ones that are going to tell you just, oh, it's not a big deal. You need the ones that are going to listen compassionately and empathetically and not impose their judgments on you. Um, I have gone through a few therapists because Mm -hmm. I had a very specific set of circumstances and if I felt like I was having to explain terms to a therapist so that she, so that they could help me, then mm-hmm. that was the wrong therapist. Mm-hmm. And um, I I will tell you, it's interesting when you, I think a lot of my generation grew up in houses that were kind of silent on, on sexuality. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember it being almost a righteous thing to walk out of health class when they were talking about sex um you made a stand did you (laughs) no okay this is worse this is worse and look well intentioned my mother and my my yeah my mother thought she was doing the right thing so like well intentioned but um I actually didn't even know about periods until I was at my friend's house playing one Sunday afternoon and I'm like oh my god oh my god I'm dying oh my gosh and I just like quietly handled this somber knowledge that I was going to die and so I made my friend's mum take me home and I remember walking in hoping to kind of confide in my mother that there was blood coming out of my unmentionables Um, and I didn't even know whether it was a short sounding eye or a long sounding eye and vagina like I was getting that wrong too like this is how uninformed I was about my body but anyway, she's at the table talking to somebody who just returned from Europe and had been struck down with mad cow disease. Um, and I'm story. Thinking, how, how does my little, you know, <laughs> how does my situation compare to mad cow disease? But what happened then is I actually got the purity talk. The purity talk was about because five minutes. of your purity, uh, because of your period. And the period like wow. talk was kind of 30 seconds and Um, And I remember trying to figure out on my own how to use this gigantic mattress pad. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And then I got chucked Dr. James Dobson's. Oh, preparing for adolescence. Me too, girlfriend. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) Oh, wow. Now, years later, so that was that. And because I was the only real reader in our homeschool group, I gave the puberty talk to several other people. Um, wow. And then I worked as a bra fitter for a while. So I also gave, you know, a lot of people like they, you know, they assumed that I knew about sex um, because <laughs> I sold G strings. Correlation and causation problematic. But the week before my wedding, my my mother, again, well intentioned, decided it was time to give me the talk that mothers had been giving for the, to their daughters for generations. <laughs> so she took me to her favourite restaurant, um, the Bunnings Cafe. Now Australians will know this. <laughs> Bunnings is a hardware store. It is a warehouse. It is echoey as heck. And in the Bunnings Cafe, there is she an assortment it. of elderly women with their purple rinses and their ill-fitting dentures and there's Sharon behind the coffee machine burning the shit out of the milk and there's my mother who's a little bit hard of hearing yelling over the din the sex talk at me (laughs) and I spot this bag and I'm thinking okay that's the bag's my savior I can she's got me a present I'll open the present this will change this horrendous conversation because I was only 29 (laughs) anyway I grab the the bag and pull out six black towels. And at that precise moment, Sharon on the coffee machine stops burning the crap out of the milk. A silence falls. I make eye contact with my mother and she yells, somebody's got to sleep in the wet spot. (laughs) And that that was the sex talk because I was only 29 (laughs) wow you got it good oh I I got uh, driving in the car pre my wedding so how do you feel about (laughs) 70 kilograms of man on top of you oh my god (laughs) that was that was pretty much it so I was like (laughs) wow whatever it was I don't remember but (laughs) we were young we didn't weigh much then (laughs) But I just, I just remember going, 
Fuck. <laughs> yep, fine, mum, fine, mum. <laughs> so there you go. That's it. I mean, we can we can laugh about it now, but um, this is this is the reality for so many people that came through purity culture that we were not informed. Mm. We the, and the the talks that we did get well intentioned as our parents were, like you mm. said, they it wasn't comprehensive sex yet. No, there was there was this huge gap around sex education. And so I, I think as well, let's just say at this point, as you go through this journey of healing and figuring out what you need um, to, to heal and kind of recover from purity culture, never feel embarrassed or shame about seeking out the information that you didn't get when you were younger. Yeah. Never feel embarrassed. Like, there's some great Instagram accounts that are aimed at teenagers that present sex ed in a really simple, basic, mm-hmm. understandable way. Like, so go browse them. There's also, I mean, amazing accounts doing it for older, older people too. But like, just never be ashamed of seeking out the sex ed that you need, um, the, the health information that you need, any kind of comprehensive sex ed that you missed out on there's no shame in going back and getting all of that information as an older person yeah so we've been talking about sort of healing Mm. keys to healing from purity culture um so we've got the embodiment stuff we've got finding good information we've got kind of breaking the silence around these topics and a lot of us might be doing this as we parent our children and we've got Mm. importantly coaching and therapy Mm. um are there any things that we've missed here in in terms of uh keys to finding healing in this area yeah i so people often talk about agency right and agency is the sense of control that you have over um the the decisions that you make and and the way that you excuse me, (laughs) the way that you choose to do things. Um, What I think is really important is we're presented through the media and and Mm. a lot of different um, avenues. We're presented this idea that agency means it's your body, it's your choice, do what you want. Mm -hmm. And while that is definitely a part of agency, I think it's really important to understand as we heal that there's also something called narrative agency. And that is how Mm. we make sense of the story that's got us where we are so for example if you were gay and you were it was not safe for you to come out Mm -hmm. then you would use you would exercise narrative agency to make sense of your story Mm -hmm. and to you would make different choices because if it wasn't safe to come out now you could still exercise agency in different areas and you would still find expression in different ways potentially without maybe coming out or if you don't have access to health care that's a part of your narrative so it's it's not just it's your body do exactly what you want it's also you have to navigate these different contexts these different parts of your story your narrative And you have to make sense of it in a way that works for you and your agency is affected by those things. So I think that's important to bring up when we talk about healing because understand that when we were going through purity culture, there were these contexts that were affecting how we operated and the choices that we made. And so Going, going back and looking over our story and understanding and making sense of that story um, and understanding the systems that you were in that helped shape the way yeah. you behave. Like, I think that's a really important part of healing because it helps you to take the blame and the shame off yourself for somehow yeah. being broken or maybe making the choices that you made. Yeah. Like, just personally, I would look back and I'm like well I chose a purity ring I chose a purity contract yeah yeah I did but I did that within the context of my bigger story and and I did that because it kept me safe or it kept me on the right side of my you know of my faith or God or parents or the the right side Mm. of hell you know um (laughs) that's a big driver for a lot of people Um, that's another podcast episode it is a whole other one so I think that understanding narrative agency is an important part of healing. Mm. 
I really yeah. like that. I really like that. And I think, um, you know, when I first started this podcast, it was, it was mainly about connecting with other people who um, were walking this journey of deconstruction and, and the various different paths that we could go, we could all go on. But mm-hmm. one kind of trend that I've noticed is that A, stories connect us quite profoundly, but B, the act of telling your story when you've been in a system that says no, don't, mm-hmm. um, is actually quite profound and, and, and quite healing. Um, narrative agency though I've never heard that terminology before and that is something that I'm going to sit with and think about and that's brilliant I love it um so healing is one level freedom is another yeah so tips for finding freedom uh from purity culture or sexual freedom yeah so this is and sexual ethic Yeah. So this is the embodied agency, right? So this is where the body stuff we were talking about before comes in. Like, how do you find pleasure? Not just sexual pleasure. How do you find pleasure in your body? Mm -hmm. That's, that's freedom. When you can learn to notice and then um, decide what you want to do Mm -hmm. with that. That's um, like, because healing is often about going back and understanding your story, going back yeah. and making sense of it. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of work to do there, but freedom is about, okay, now that I know, now that I can see what I've come from and I've done the work to heal some of those wounds and those hurts, now I can see like, what do I want to do with all this? Yeah. You know, what does it look like? And so for me, I have a, I have a sleeve tattoo now that actually I only got a couple of years ago. And that was, it was freedom to me because I, you know, tattoos were a big no-no in our family and in our household. Mm -hmm. And so I, that was my freedom piece. It was one of my freedom pieces. It was a like a marker of this journey. Like I've been on this healing and this freedom work for so long now. And I want to do something that actually gives me this embodied sense of agency. Yeah. Um, And, and I spent like the, the hours and hours that were with, um, with the tattooist who is actually a lovely friend. And we, and she's come from a similar background and she's covered in tattoos and I love it a bit. And we did, we talked about it as we, as she did this tattoo and (laughs) clenched my way through some parts of it. And I decided like, I'm, I'm giving new meaning to pain in this moment. Like actually I'm giving new meaning to those things that I was taught growing up about my body. I'm choosing this now, not saying everybody has to go out and get sleeve tattoos, but, um, but that was for me, what represented freedom. Um, For some people, they find freedom in kink and they're like, Hey, I really want to explore this. And I want to stretch out and and Mm -hmm. push some of those sexual boundaries that I've had. Um, some people find freedom, I don't know, in stand-up comedy, maybe, mm-hmm. Kit, you yeah. know? Yeah, like, I love it. I love it. There's it's an adrenaline of these ways. <laughs> I Honestly, I don't know how you do it, but, um, <laughs> but there are different things that look like freedom to everybody. Yeah. And here's the other thing as well, is that you can simultaneously heal and live in freedom. Like you don't have to get to a point where you've done all your work. And so now I can live in freedom. Like you can, it's kind of like train tracks. You can do both. Um, And I think you probably, we will continue to do both all our long lives because there will always be little things that come up and you go, Oh, interesting. I didn't (laughs) expect that to come back around, but I guess I need to do a little more healing there. Um, So never think that you have to heal all your wounds and then you can be free sexually and in your relationships and all that kind of stuff. Um, And I think it's also important to acknowledge that if you, and as a PTSD um, sufferer, um, like, I can be doing really well for a really long time. And I'm in a lot of ways, I'm doing better than ever. Um, mm-hmm. I haven't had a PTSD episode. Um, well, before this lockdown, because uh, this lockdown's been a bitch. How long um, yeah. <laughs> for just months and months. And then if you have an episode, it doesn't mean that all the healing's undone. It yeah. doesn't mean if you have a setback, it doesn't mean that all is lost. It just means that 
maybe having a bad day and you need to exercise some self-compassion or maybe if something's coming up repeated like repeatedly you need to re-engage with some therapy and do a little bit of Mm. work but it doesn't mean all the previous work has means nothing it just means um that okay maybe maybe we've had one surgery one metaphorical surgery on this Mm. injury and we've allowed it some healing time and now we can come back and get the next level of Mm. you know of of whatever's whatever requires healing um that metaphor really absolutely that was a two coffee metaphor and I've only had a one coffee (laughs) today so I applaud you well done (laughs) yeah I think that that there are things that come up unexpectedly and that's okay it's really okay I love that point so important Kit Yeah. Mm. yeah Um, look, I, I love catching up with you and, and definitely, um, even though last time we didn't end up publishing the episode, gosh, it was a good, it was a good catch up. It was great. It was great. Um, so yeah. What does freedom look like for you? I think that's a really good question for, um, for listeners to kind of sit with. Um, and I'll, I'll, I'll say, yep. Stand-up comedy is one thing for me. Mm. Um, also, I think the Proverbs 31 woman has been... Where are you going with this? Uh, that she's been like a like a monolith, like, a, you know, this is what you need to be as a Christian woman, as a wife and a mother. All these things, all, all of them. Things. Could you please be all of these things? And it's impossible. It's a standard we cannot live up to. Um, and then it turns out that the person who wrote it was writing it about their mother anyway. So they probably had no <sighs> fucking idea. Uh. But, <laughs> um, for me, rest is an act mm. of um, reclamation. Yeah. To actually go, you, you know what? I'm a nap enthusiast. I love yeah, naps. Come on. Come on. Um, so if taking a nap instead of working yourself into the ground or using the five minutes downtime that you have to like, you know, go over your house that will pass the white glove test or, you know, like rest can be an act of freedom because it's an act of rebellion against this structure built in my mind. And I'm sure many other minds, it says that a woman has to be working herself to the ground for her kids and for her future and for her husband, Mm. even, Um, you know, that's, that's an act of, that's an act of freedom for me. That's stand-up comedy and Botox. Yeah, come on. (laughs) Oh, and it looks different for everybody, you know, and it even looks different for each of us in different parts of our life as well. You know, like at the moment, freedom for me looks like working on my business or doing doing Mm -hmm. things and prioritizing time with clients and that kind of thing and saying I have a cleaner and I have and we go out for meals sometimes or we get takeout and like I'm throwing out I mean I never really liked any of those things anyway but (laughs) like just actually actively engaging with that and saying I'm throwing out that old narrative that tells me to be a good wife and mother I should be making nutritious home-cooked meals Mm -hmm. and I should be ubering Yes. Like that for seasons of your life, for parts of your life, that might be what it is. And then at other parts, it's rest. And then at other parts, for me, it's been exercise and like, yeah, yeah, I'm leaning into what does it feel like to really get strong in my body? Um, And, you know, coming from disordered eating recovery and all that sort of stuff for me, like that was a big part of my, my freedom is going, how can I embrace this in ways that are healthy? Yeah. Um, so it can look different and it can shift and change. You know, sometimes it's been painting and yeah, but there's different things at different times. Yeah. And it's interesting how all of these things, they're not sex, but they impact on sexuality. Mm-hmm. Um, and we haven't even talked about kind of reframing sex from being obligatory to being you know, or, or always love making or always kind of serious, you know, that that actually can be kind of had a rough day, you know, want to blow up some steam. Yeah. <laughs> and, and that's the thing we were given the, we were given the sex is sacred message. Yeah. Well, actually, yeah, sex can be sacred. It can be really connected, can also be funny and it can also be awkward and it can also be yeah. messy and mm-hmm. you can also be having a really hard time and find comfort. And yeah. so 
expanding that I mean we could do a whole other episode on that but <laughs> I think that's really um that's a great point that sex is all those types of things but how we feel in our body and how we understand our own sense of agency those are key things that affect then how we live out and and play out our sexuality and our feelings mm. about sex and things yeah like that Beautiful. Well, mm. I'd like to congratulate uh, you on choosing a room without seven guys in <laughs> and me for staying on track with my least comfortable subject. Well done. I'm so for a proud full of you. Hour. <laughs> I'm so proud of you. I'm proud and of I just, I just hope this helps people to feel a little bit less alone. Like just yeah. know that if, if any of these things we've talked about, if they have hit a nerve, if, if you're like, yeah, that's me, like I've felt that way or I've experienced that, just know that you're not the one that's broken. Like you, you yeah. came through a system that was broken and um, healing and freedom and all those things are possible and are available. Yeah. Um, and yeah, and it's a process. So hopefully yeah. this is a part of some people's process and healing yeah. as they work through purity culture. Yeah, so thank you. Thank you for um, making the time to, to <laughs> redo this session. Um, and I, I really do think there's a lot of helpful things in it. So where can we find you on the interwebs? Yes, I'm at megcowan.com. And then I'm also on Instagram at megccowan. So that's either of those places are the best way to find me. Lovely. Um, I'm Kit Kennedy. This is Unchurchable and I will catch you next time for um, a really exciting uh, episode with the Reverend Dr. Beverly Dale, who's done some research on a very similar topic. So that's coming up next. Um, in the meantime, I hope you uh, listen to this episode for as many times as it takes for it to sink in. Have a go at some of the things that we've talked about today and um, I think, especially during the era of the pandemic, if you find yourself in need of a therapist, well, you're just part of the enlightened few because I think we all need a bloody therapist this year. <laughs> so do what you need to chase down your freedom. It is 100% worth it. I'm Kit Kennedy. Adios for this time.